I'm glad to see so many youth in here, so many not so youth, but you can be whatever you want. I'm glad you're here. Wayne was threatening me. He said, well, Neil introduced, had his sons introduce him, and so maybe Andre can introduce you. And I said, maybe we shouldn't do that. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. Looking forward to our step together. You know, if you wanted to be an astronaut and you applied to NASA, you've got less than a 1% chance of being hired. If you wanted to attend school at MIT, you've got probably about a 6% chance. And if you wanted to attend college at Harvard, there's less than a 4% chance that you'd be accepted and granted admittance. But if you want to read and study the Word of God as a Christian, there is a 100% chance that you can open up the Book of God, read it, and comprehend the message, and live your life in compliance with it as a result. The Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the Word of God is living and active. It's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow. And this is the discerner of the intents and thoughts of the human heart. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the words of Christ, Romans 10, 17. And we often quote Romans 10, 17 to people that are not Christians. We say, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And you need to hear the gospel message so that you can respond to it and obey God. And that's true. But faith keeps coming by hearing. In fact, that's the only way faith comes. Faith comes initially when you hear the word of God. But as you continue to hear the message and conform your life to it, you become the person that God wants you to be. And so in this session on Help Me Study, we need to appreciate the Bible for the treasure that it is. And we're going to talk practically about how do I do this? How do I become a better Bible student? What are the components and things necessary to help me toward this end? But before we get into that, I want to say a few things about some of the things that sort of deter us from being the people we need to be as it relates to Bible study. Sometimes it's our mindset, the way we think as we approach the Bible. Sometimes people come to the Bible with this attitude. You know, I'm just not smart enough. I'm not a studious person. I'm really not the reading type. And so I would much rather somebody else do the studying for me or maybe somebody explain the Bible to me. I'm a podcast person. Just I'll listen to other people talk about the Bible or maybe if people just take their thoughts and boil it down for me, I'll read a blog about the Bible or maybe even one of those devotional books. Maybe you've got one on your coffee table or something like that. And it says, hey, they've got a text about the Bible, but when I read their notes, it really comes alive for me. This is how I read and study the Bible. Nothing against those things. But what if God wants to speak directly to you and you could grasp the message for yourself? Other people say, I'm busy. You know, my life's so busy. I've got so many things going on. I really want to be a better Bible student. And in time, I will. But for right now, I just can't see myself getting around to studying the Bible regularly. And then sometimes it's just our laziness. We don't really want to get into the Bible like we know we can and we should. And so we allow other things to get in our way. In the first century, nobody had what you have right now. Most people heard the word of God when they went to the assembly. In passages like 1 Thessalonians 5.27, Paul says, I admonish you to have this letter read to all the holy brethren, or Colossians 4.16. Make sure that the letter that I wrote to you, you give it all to the Laodiceans, and the letter from them, probably the book of Ephesians. You make sure you take it and read it. They would hear the word of God in gatherings like this, and they would learn the word of God and apply it to their lives. And maybe sometimes we flip that. Now that we have copies in our own language that we can read and study, this may be the only time we hear the word of God. But what if there's a better way? And what if it's the case that we're not sort of failing as Bible students or not reading and studying like we need to or want to because we don't have a desire? Maybe it's not neglect. Maybe we just don't know how. And so what I want to do in the 36 minutes and 15 seconds that I've got left, I'm rolling as fast as I can. I know we break some people's hands when we do this, but we don't talk fast. 
And I want to talk about six things every one of us can do to become a better student of the Bible. There'll be some practical things. I'm going to suggest some ways that we can get into the Word of God, but we're also going to talk about some heart postures and things we need along the way. So let's begin. Number one, if we're going to be better students, we first need to acknowledge our need. Turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 4 and notice what Jesus says about the Word of God here. If we're going to be better students, we first need to appreciate that we need the Bible. It's not enough to say, well, we should study the Bible. We need to see how much we need to do it. Jesus is tempted by the devil. You remember in Matthew chapter 4, verse 3, if you be the Son of God, command it these stones be turned into bread. And Jesus says in Matthew 4, verse 4, quoting from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 8 and verse 3, he says, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth out of the mouth of God. Jesus doesn't just suggest that we study the Bible. The Bible tells us to do that. We need God to direct our paths and show us the way that we should go. We should want to study the Bible, but it's deeper than that. We need to. If Jesus is right, and he is, he says, you cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. We first need to acknowledge our desperate need. The gospel, according to Satan, goes something like this. You're smart. You're intelligent. You're industrious. You're creative. And the last thing you need is a divine being bearing down on you, giving you a book full of rules to guide your life and tell you how you ought to live. But the Bible's message is different, isn't it? The Bible says, no, we're actually needy and sin sick and weak. And we need God's direction. Like the psalmist in Psalm 25 and verse 4, where David says, show me your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. That's what every one of us needs. And we've got to humble our hearts down to see how desperately we need the Bible. Before we can talk about methods, listen, you can have all the calendars, all the plans, and all the strategies. But until you see that we need to be doing this, we won't read and study the Bible like we should. Jesus told his disciples in John 6 and verse 63, he says, the, the spirit gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I'm speaking to you, their spirit and their life. Peter says, we know and believe you're the son of the living God. You have the words of eternal life. Where else can we go? John 6 and verse 68. You know, sometimes your grandma buys you an ugly sweater for Christmas and you've got to wear it the next Thanksgiving. You just have to. I mean, your mom says, hey, you've got to wear this. If you don't, you'll hurt her what? You've got to wear the sweater. I mean, you don't want to, but you just don't want to make her feel bad, so you wear the sweater. But then there are other days when it's freezing outside, and if you don't wear a sweater, the Kentucky wind will break your little bristle bones in half, right? You've got to wear it. You have to. There are sometimes, okay, I, I'll do this out of sympathy, and then there are other times, no, I have to do this. I must do this. We don't read the Bible to make God feel good. We're not doing it out of sympathy for him. Okay, I don't want to disappoint God, so I'll read the Bible. Jesus is saying, no, you actually have to do this. These words are for your life, Deuteronomy 32 and verse 47. Listen to Paul. Study to show yourself approved unto God, 2 Timothy 2.15. A worker that doesn't have to be ashamed, one that can properly handle the word of truth. Do we know how much we need the Bible to direct our paths and our steps? Are we that desperate? Study the Bible diligently, but also study it desperately. We need it, unless we prove Jesus a liar and say, well... Most men can't live by bread alone, but I can. I'm doing just fine without the Bible. I don't really need it. We do. Can you think about some of the areas where only the Bible sheds light on what you and I need to do with our lives? What I must do to be saved? The only way to answer that question is what you find in the Bible. Acts 2, 37 and 38. What does it mean to truly be blessed? Psalm 1 and verse 2 is the man that meditates in the law of God day and night. Where should I go? How should I direct my path? Psalm 17 and verse 5, the psalmist says, God directs my steps. 
Psalm 119 and 133, only in the word of God. We need God to direct our steps and we need to appreciate our desperate need for scripture. Have this hunger and this thirst for it and want to do it and realize without it, we don't truly live as God would intend for us to. In the documentary, The Last Dance with Michael Jordan, there's a section in there where they talk about what he would do to encourage himself before games. And one of the things Jordan would do, he was already a fierce competitor. He really didn't need this extra edge, but he just did this to put sort of extra sauce on his competitive abilities. He would just sort of create these, these, false, these false narratives in his mind about his competitors. So he would make up things that other people were saying about him before the game. You can't shoot him. You can't play defense. You can't dribble. And then he would often tell the media these things. You know, so-and-so, Reggie Miller said this about me. And it would get him excited and fueled for the very next game. People hadn't said this, but he said he needed an enemy in order to attack and to be fierce and to be his very best. The Bible says we have an enemy. And it's not make-believe. We don't have to make it up in our minds. There is an adversary. First Peter 5 and verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. Whom you resist steadfast in the faith, knowing the same things being accomplished by the brotherhood that you have throughout the world. The reality is, we have an enemy. God wants our minds fixed on Jesus, and the devil wants us to think about anything but Jesus. If we wait for fair weather conditions to get into the word of God, the devil has a way of always making sure that those conditions never exist. Just keep postponing. Keep on delaying and our enemy will structure life in such a way for us that we'll always find ourselves saying tomorrow. So if we're going to be better students of the Bible, we've got to avoid enemies to the Bible study. What are some of the enemies? Enemy number one. I'm going to give you five, I think. Procrastination. Procrastination. Anybody ever plan to get into studying the Bible and just never really get around to doing it? I mean, we had good intentions. Janet Daly says, someday is not a day of the week. And sometimes we think, I plan to. I hope to. Proverbs 27 and verse 1, Solomon says, boast not yourself of tomorrow because you don't know what a day will bring forth. In Matthew 6.33, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus says we should seek the kingdom first, because if we don't seek it first, we often won't seek it at all. And if we're going to be better students of Scripture, we've got to realize that sometimes our enemy is procrastination. I'm going to give you a recipe that will always ensure that you never study the Word of God. Go and exercise and work out. Come back in, take you a nice shower, eat you a nice dinner, curl up in your bed, Watch your favorite TV show and then finally turn it off right around midnight and then grab your copy of the New Testament. And I assure you, you'll be sleeping no time. <laughs> we sometimes set ourselves up. The conditions around which we try to approach the Bible, they just naturally set us up for failure. We delay and we postpone and we push off and then we don't get into the scriptures like we should. If we want to be better students, avoid the enemy of procrastination. Number two, the enemy of distraction. With every ping and ding and buzz and text and message, it's just difficult to focus. In a different context, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul's talking to people that he's trying to encourage to stay single for a moment in time for a reason. And he says in 1 Corinthians 7.35, I want you to be able to serve the Lord without distraction. And we look at our lives and how busy they are and how many things are going on, and sometimes that seems impossible. Microsoft did a study in 2018, and they found that human beings now have an attention span shorter than goldfish. Is that about eight seconds? So I'm about 20 minutes past that, and some of you have already paid. I'm lost you, and I'm sorry. 
Imagine how hard it is to study the Bible. Sometimes people come to the Bible and they say, it's difficult, it's hard. I really want to study the Bible, but when I sit down, I think about so many other things. I get so distracted. It's not just you, it's every one of us. This is the fight for our lives. The Bible has the deepest concepts that the human mind can contemplate, and we shouldn't expect that to just sort of come to us easy. Our world has trained us that if something doesn't come to you easy, it must mean you're not good at it or it's not worth doing. And God's saying, no, this is different. It is challenging. It is hard. It is difficult. And it still works. Enemy number three. It's just sheer laziness. The Bible comes down hard on the slothful person. It just does. Romans 12 and verse 11, Paul says, Don't be slothful in business, but be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Cursed is the one that keeps back his sword from action or bloodshed. Jeremiah 48 and verse 10. And sometimes we don't study like we should because we're just lazy. We don't put the effort in. We don't do the hard work. And then here's the fourth enemy. Sometimes it's just ourselves. Nobody can do this for you. Nobody can make you do this. You have to choose on your own to want to get into the Bible. And sometimes we just don't. Here are a few heart postures that every one of us should have when we approach the Bible. This, this is the way our heart should be structured before we even open the Bible. These things involve, before you open a page, let me go back. Before you even start studying, you got to get your heart ready. James says as much in James 1.21. James says, lay apart all filthiness and overflowing wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Until you do these seven things and get your heart ready, you're never, we're never going to reap the riches from the Bible as we should. Our hearts have to be in the proper position. And here they are, number one, approach the Bible prayerfully. Before you even open up the Bible, you should be talking to its author about what he wants to teach you. Psalm 119 and verse 18, the psalmist says, Open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things out of your word. Or Paul, Ephesians 1.18, Paul says, Pray that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened, that you might understand the great depths and riches to which God has gone to save you. Number one, approach the Bible prayerfully. Number two, approach it humbly. Sometimes people come to the Bible wanting the Bible to prove them right. They already have a position and they just can't wait to find the verse that proves them correct. Don't approach the Bible like that. The Bible doesn't change. The Bible's been around for a long time. It doesn't change what we change. I hope that as you've studied the Bible over the years, you've changed on some things. I hope that you've come to the text and said, you know what, I used to think this, but now I'm different. I don't know how many times I read the New Testament, I hear somebody preaching, and I look down at my Bible and say, when did that verse jump in there? I never saw that before. Where did that come from? It's been there all the time. Approach the Bible humbly. What does that mean? God, I might be wrong and show me where I am. We want our religious friends and neighbors to do this, but we don't have all the right positions. God is the right one, and we're coming under his tutelage to learn from him. 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. God sits in nobody's classroom, and if we study the Bible right, he's at the head of every classroom. Have a humble and gentle heart that approaches the text saying this, if I find something in this book with which my life is out of step, I will bend and conform my will and not the passage that teaches what I don't like. Number three, approach the Bible studiously. 2 Timothy 2.15, I think everybody memorized this in the King James. I'm going to start this verse. You know it. Study to show yourself what? Approved unto God. But the newer translations don't go with study. They translate spudazzo this way. Give every effort. Be diligent. That means do the hard work. Don't assume when you come to the Bible it's not going to be work. You've got to put in some sweat equity. Anybody that you know that knows the Bible well, it's cost them greatly. And it's going to cost you as well. It's going to be worth it, but you've got to study. Peter says in 2 Peter 1 and verse 10, 
Give diligence to make your calling and your election sure. Number four, approach the Bible obediently. All the Bible you can learn in the world. You can learn all the Greek and Hebrew your money can buy, and you'll just be disobeying God in the original languages if you don't do what you know. That doesn't mean anything to God. You know what God cares about? Jeremiah says this. Isaiah, excuse me, 66, 1 and 2. God says, this is the one whom I love. The one who has a humble and contrite spirit who trembles at my word. What does that mean? This is the person that hears from me and they say, I really want to go out and do this. This is simple. I really want to do this. I want to know more about you and I want to obey you. I want to do what you say. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Approach the Bible joyfully. Be excited. The psalmist says, oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Psalm 119 and 97. Approach the Bible expectantly. Expect to find riches and treasures in this book because they're there. Isaiah says his word doesn't return to him void. Read the Bible and expect it to reach down into your heart and transform you. Don't be surprised when that happens. It can and it will. God says my work always does work on people when they receive it properly. And then number seven, approach the Bible Christocentrically. Every preacher has to put at least one big word in his sermon so that you know we're educated. And that's my big word. Christocentrically. What's that mean? It means the whole Bible is about Jesus and approach the Bible through that lens. He's the hero of all the Bible. The Bible is not just a hodgepodge full of moral stories and various things that God's trying to teach us about principles to live. Jesus says, search the scriptures. In them you think you have eternal life. Those scriptures testify about me and the Jews wouldn't come to him that they might have life. Approach the Bible saying, I want to find Jesus. And when you do, you've approached it properly. Now, Here's number three, I believe, avenues to explore. We'll get practical here on how do I go about doing this? What should I do with Bible study? But there are different avenues to explore as we approach the Bible. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 13, Paul says, Timothy, until I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Meditate in these things. Give yourself completely to them, and your, pro your progress will appear to all people. There are avenues and ways in which we can get into the Bible. I don't want to argue with you about methods. I think there are different ways to get into the Bible. and One method isn't better than any other method, but I think there are some methods we sometimes approach, we use in our approaches that aren't helpful. I was listening to a podcast recently, and this man, he's a Bible professor, and he was talking to another guy on the podcast about how his students approach Scripture. He surveyed his class one day. He said, how many of you have quiet time or devotional time every day? Very few of the kids raised their hand, but some of them did. And then he started asking them, hey, what's your process? What do you do? And they said things like this. <clears throat> well, I just open the Bible at random every day, and I just read a few verses and pray and go my own way. Or you know what? There's a YouVersion Bible app, and sometimes they have that little verse of the day thing. I kind of read that, and then I, I say a prayer or something like that, and I just I go my own way. And they didn't have really a systematic way by which they encountered the Word of God. It was just kind of whatever they were feeling on a whim. Maybe a proverb today. Maybe a psalm tomorrow. Maybe a passage from Isaiah, one of the Gospels. And as much as I applaud that effort and that desire to get into the text, what if there's a better way? What if there's a systematic way by which we can enter into the Word of God and eventually learn what God's trying to teach us? We don't really hop, skip, and jump all around and never really learn the message from God. Show of hands of everybody in this room. I don't care how old you are, if you can read. Show of hands. Hold them nice and high. Be proud. There we go. I think that's everybody. Keep them up. Can you hear? If you haven't lost your hearing, hold your hands up. You know what? You can read the Bible. You can do this. Because the Bible is something, if you can read, as soon as a kid can start reading, we should get them their own copy. Oh, we can do home devotionals, I'm, I'm good with that, but as soon as he or she can start reading, we should say it's time for you. 
you can start reading the Bible. We're going to get a Bible in your own language and terminology, and we want you to start reading. Somebody says, I'm not really good at reading. I'm not the studious type. you got your phone. You can start listening. Before the printing press was invented, most people never had a copy of the Word of God in their own language. The people we read about in the Bible, Paul and others, they learned large swabs of Scripture merely by coming to gatherings like this and hearing it read over and over and over again. It was an audio type of culture, and they learned chapters and books by heart merely by hearing the Bible read, and we can do the very same thing. Don't sell that short, but also in our Bible classes. I think one of the ways we really can get into Scripture is in the gathered assembly. I don't think it's the only way, but I think sometimes we sell it short. Bible class is extra credit, right? You go to worship, Sunday worship with the Lord's Supper. That's what really matters. Bible class is extra credit. Wednesday is for the really special people. I mean, they're really bad. They've got to go in the middle of the week, you know. (laughs) But what if it's a time to really dig in? The communal aspect of Bible study to realize the questions and doubts I have, other people have the same thing. They're not understanding all of this either. There are times for us to engage and decipher and sharpen one another. Don't pass off those times. Don't take those times for granted. Get into the word, however you have to do it, and find your own way. Here are a few things to keep in mind as you study the Bible. Here are a few practices. Hopefully these are practical. We talked a little bit about this, but look for Jesus every time. What is the Bible telling me about Jesus? How does this shape my life? Even the Old Testament. Jesus says in Luke 24, verse 44, the whole Bible is about me. So when you read 1 Samuel 17, David and Goliath, you're not David, okay? You're the scared Israelites in the camp. Every one of us is. Jesus is the new and better David at the front of the line, winning the battle for us that we could never win for ourselves. When we read the narrative of Joseph, we're not Joseph. We're the brothers who betrayed the innocent one because we couldn't stand his holiness. He suffers on our account and eventually welcomes us into the family. We've all suffered and gone through hardship, but Jesus and Jesus alone is the new and better Job who suffered and received no comfort from his friends, but in the end prays for us and welcomes us back into his company. The whole Bible's about Jesus, and we've got to read it from that lens. When you approach the Bible, say, what does this text teach me about Jesus? Number two, read entire books. Here's what I mean, and I think you can read some books of the Bible in the time it takes you to walk from your bedroom to the kitchen. Think Philemon, 2 John, Obadiah, one-chapter books, many of them under 20 verses, but this is what I mean. Find you a systematic way and just work through work through books. Work through a book of the Bible. Don't just hop, skip, and jump around and say, you know what? I want to learn. I want to learn Colossians. I want to learn 1 Thessalonians. Learn how to approach books holistically. And don't just hop. I know you say, well, this is a long way around. I get in the middle of Joshua. Some of this stuff gets boring. Persevere. Push through. Take on whole books of the Bible. It'll round you out. Paul says, I wanted to know the whole counsel of God, Acts 20, 26, and 27. And we won't really learn the Bible like we should until we take that approach. We always have holes in our theology and miss certain points and how things tie together. Number three, learn the whole story of the Bible. The Bible makes five moves. If you're taking notes, I hope you write. These are really just five words. The Bible makes five moves. And if you can learn these five moves, it'll help you in your Bible study. Number one is creation. God created the world. That's how the Bible begins. Number two, there's the fall. Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve, they fail, they sin, creation, fall. Number three is redemption. Jesus is coming to save the whole world. Jesus is God's plan. That's why he chose Israel and Abraham's seed. Genesis 3.15, creation, fall, redemption, consummation. One day everything's going to end. God's going to interrupt history. 2 Peter 3.10, set the world on fire and take the redeemed back to heaven. And number five is glorification and exaltation. 
when everything's over, we will always be with the Lord. First Thessalonians 4 and verse 17. Once you learn the Bible, it's not scattered stories. You start reading through the Bible and you start saying, okay, this is creation. Okay, the whole Old Testament, this is that period of the fall. And God's working out the scheme of redemption. And the New Testament's telling you everything's going toward the end. Get a handle on the story. You know why we struggle in Bible study? Because we're like people that have walked in 45 minutes into the movie. You watch movies with people like that, and your family, they're like, who is that? And why is he doing that? Why she go in that room? Somebody says, that's aggravating. You watch the whole movie from beginning to end, and then you'll know what's going on. And sometimes we approach the Bible like that. Hey, who is Joseph? What's he doing? And I don't know what this guy said. Who is Saul? And where's Damascus? We're just trying to sneak our way in because we know. We know it's hard work. And we much rather shortcut. Can, can you give me a commentary? Somebody just sort of break it all down for me. Know the story. Paul says in Ephesians 3, 3 through 5, How by revelation I received the knowledge and the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men. I wrote it to you in a few words. When you read, you can understand my knowledge and the mystery of Christ. Paul says, I wrote it down so you can read it. You've got to put in the work to learn the narrative of Scripture. Number four, read from a good translation. I know their translation wars. I really think the best translation is the translation that you're going to read, study, and obey. If you want to talk after this, we can talk about the languages and why I made the decisions, but I think any of these translations is good. The ESV, the NIV, the New Living Translation, the New American Standard, the New King James Version. But here's the thing. If you go to the store and buy a copy of the Bible and open it on your own and you can't pronounce the words that are in it, you're never going to read that book. If it's in a terminology and if it's in phraseology that you don't talk in in the common vernacular, you're going to struggle to see how this applies. What will happen in your heart is this. The Bible is an archaic book from yesteryear. There's this distance and separation. Here's the real world. Here's the Bible world. But what if scholars that know Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, and the culture have translated the Bible in a language in your own tongue that you can comprehend and understand? I'm not telling you to get rid of your King James. If you can read it and appreciate it, great. But if not, We've got modern translations that'll help you. You need a modern translation of the Bible that you can pick up on, feel at home with, read and comprehend. Jesus believed in translation. He quotes primarily from the Septuagint and not the Masoretic text of the Hebrew. Be sure to get a good translation of the Bible that you can appreciate and understand. Number five, ask good questions. Who's talking? What are they talking about? What happened right before this? When you've got questions and you read in the text, most likely the best thing to do is just keep reading. The answer is somewhere around the context after that. Just press through. Don't quit. Just keep reading. And things normally become clear. Jesus would ask a man in Luke 10, 26, what's in the law? How do you read it? Number six, here are just some good New Testament books I would say to learn first. This is arbitrary. I've got no evidence for this except this is my opinion. I, somebody says, I want to get into the Bible. MLLJ is not a book of the Bible. Okay, That's just an acronym for the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I would say start there. Learn Jesus. You're in the New Testament, you say, where do I start? Read the Gospels. I mean, read them all the way through. And here's what we do, and don't do this. Oh, I know this one already. Good Samaritan, I know this one. The Beatitudes, I've been there before, been there, done. I really want to get past, can you just give me the revelation and tell me about the dragons and the rainbows and the... Start in the Gospels. Who is Jesus? What did Jesus really say? You know, a lot of people think they know Jesus and what he liked and what he do, and they've got no clue because they haven't spent time with him. Read the Gospels, then read the book of Acts. How does somebody become a Christian? What was Christianity like in the first century? What about the church? What does this look like? What you're going to find when you read the book of Acts is this. Jesus established New Testament Christianity. 
And many of the things you do on a weekly basis are not some Church of Christ tradition that men started in the 1800s. It's as old as your New Testament. It'll give you confidence and a bolster your faith. You won't have a second-handed faith that's just handed down. You won't say things like, maybe this is just the way we do it, but my friends at other churches do it differently. Read the book of Acts and try churches by the book of Acts. Read Romans and Hebrews, James for practical Christianity and 1 Peter. What about the Old Testament? Learn the Pentateuch, Genesis through Deuteronomy. You just have got to read those books. I know Leviticus is the daily Bible reading slayer. It just kills people. People start out, I want to read the Bible in a year. They get through Genesis. Exodus has some interesting stuff. You get to Leviticus and you're like, all right, let's go on to Matthew. <laughs> but don't give up. Don't give up. Leviticus is the most important book in the Old Testament. It tells you about their sacrifices, about their worship, about how they approach God. Read the books of Deuteronomy, Joshua, First and Second Kings. When you do that, you've got Old Testament history right here by that time. Proverbs, you can read a proverb a day. Most months have 30 days in them. Proverbs has 31 chapters. Here's the good thing about the book of Proverbs. It's not a narrative in form. So you just pick up whatever today's date is. Today's April 22nd. You just start in Proverbs 22 today. You won't miss anything and you just press through. When you get to the end of the month, you go right back around to chapter one. What if you miss a day? You just stick with the date. Most of the book of Proverbs just hangs on single and isolated chapters. I know the first 10 chapters can be taken as a unit, but what if you read the book of Proverbs every month for the rest of your life and put into practice the things you find in this page? It's the book of Psalms. It's Jesus' favorite book. Five Psalms a day will take you through the book of Psalms in a month, and your life and your devotional life, your prayer life will be enriched as a result. Here's the next thing. I think we got two more. A result. You come to a program like this and you're excited. You want to read the Bible. You want to get into scripture. But guess what? Life's going to happen. And if you and I don't have a strong resolve to stick with it, we won't do it. Turn about to Psalm 119. Go to Psalm 119 and notice verse 15. Psalm 119 and verse 15. The psalmist is talking about his relationship to the word of God. And he says, I'll meditate on your precepts. Have respect unto your ways. I'll delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. That's the resolve to stick with it. And that's what you and I need. Because you're going to make your plan. You're going to say, I really want to get into studying the Bible. And school's going to get busy. You're going to make your plan. You're going to get into the Bible. You're going to go on vacation or something's going to happen. And it's going to detour you. And if you don't have a resolve to stick with it, no matter what, you won't. Life is not conditioned for us to do the spiritual things that God wants us to do. That's why it's a fight. That's why it's a war. It's a battle. And you and I have got to make up our minds that you know what, I'm going to do this no matter what. When I go on vacation, I'm going to stick with my Bible reading. I might have to change. I might have to amend, but I won't suspend. I'm going to press on. I'm going to find a way to get in the Bible. My way may change. My method may change. Season of life with children, grandchildren, health. But I am in a persistent pursuit of knowledge of God's word so that I can apply it. And I'm going to do whatever I have to do to do that. Ezra 7 and verse 10, Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and do it and teach in Israel statutes and judgments. The Bereans searched the scriptures every day, Acts 17 and verse 11. What is that but a resolve, a desire to do so? And we need the same thing. Two more. We need to appreciate the Bible. I say this in Bible classes a lot, especially when I'm teaching the high school and the teen class, but I think we just take it for granted. I think we just assume, and we're wrong about this, that every country and every culture and every tongue and language has the Bible in their own tongue, and that's not true. There are people working toward that end, but that's just not true. Most tongues and languages in the world, there are thousands of them that don't even have Genesis 1 and verse 1. And the average American household has four copies of the Word of God. Do you appreciate the Bible? Listen, God didn't have to reveal himself to us. He chose to. 
As for our God, His way is perfect. His word proves true. Psalm 18 and verse 30. But we've got to appreciate this. We talk in Christian evidences about people not needing the Bible to know God. The nature testifies to who God is. That's true. You go look at the sun, the moon, the stars, and it's shouting to you. Somebody made you. Somebody created you. There's design. You're not here by chance. But you need Holy Writ to tell you that that somebody deeply loves you. That's why David goes on to say the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimonies of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. More to be desired of these riches than gold. Yes, than fine gold. you got to appreciate the Bible. To love it. To desire it. To make the most of it. And then it'll change us. If we think we'll always have the minds that we have. And always have the ability to study in the ways that we should. We'll postpone it and then we won't get around to do it. And there'll come a time in our lives when we say, I wish I knew it better. I wish I'd given more time. I wish I'd been a more serious Bible student. I thought I was busy then. I can't. I look at how busy I am now. Appreciate the Bible. <clears throat> you know, God loved us enough to give us the Word of God, to have it translated into our language, to provide avenues like this for us to study. And the only thing that we can do in response to it is to read it, commit it to life, and then practice it. Now, here's the last thing. We've got to accept ownership of our own spirituality. I know there are people of various ages in this in this room, but I just want to say your spiritual growth is your responsibility. Nobody can do this for you. Your parents can't do it for you. Your spouse can't do it for you. Just being around other spiritual people won't do it until you make up your mind. Dale preached in the auditorium earlier from James chapter 4 and in verse 8, God says through James, if you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. That means everybody in this room right now is as close to God as they want. Every time you take a step toward God, he never steps back. He always steps forward. You draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Every one of us knows as much about the Bible right now as we want to. And you can learn more. But we've got to accept ownership of our own spirituality and say, you know what? I'm ready. I don't know if y'all had this in your family, but at Thanksgiving and Christmas and my family, did y'all have the kitty table? Y'all have that? What's the kitty table? It's where the kids eat, right? There's a kitty table. And there are two types of kids. One kid can't wait to leave the kitty table, and one never wants to leave. And maybe some of y'all are still at the kitty table, right? But there comes a point, you know what the kitty table's for. Mama makes your meal, eat your food first, then you can have your drink. You know the principles, right? That's for the little kids. And you're just sitting there watching, and you say, I just can't wait until I'm old enough. And as soon as I'm old enough, I'm making as much as I want. I'm eating red velvet cake first. I'm going to do my own thing. Once I get old enough, I'm getting up from the kitty table. And I'm telling you, spiritually, we really need to get up from the we need to stop saying, I need somebody to spoon feed me, do the whole airplane thing. You know, I'm going to just hold up and say, I'm ready. I'm ready to open up the word of God for myself. You were made for this. God's created us in such a way and communicated his word to us. You don't have to be a genius. You have to be smart or educated. You need a heart that loves God. A will bent toward obedience and surrender and saying, you know what? I want to have my own pace, in my own method, in my own way. I want to study and learn the word of God so that I can fall in love with the author. And when you do that, always smiles on you and is pleased. Don't compare your knowledge to other people. There won't be a heavenly Bible Bowl trivia game. You don't have to worry about it. It's between you and the Lord. And while that might comfort you, it also should challenge you. It's between you and the Lord. He knows. He knows how seriously we take them. He knows what we do with our time. And he knows whether or not we really are truly committed to study. I've got a few friends that practice martial arts. And every one of them tells me, I've been working with one of them, he says, you know, Hiram, you don't do martial arts to become the next karate kid or Jackie Chan. I said, okay. He says, it's about discipline. It's about persevering. 
just about learning some principles that are going to help and shape and form you. And there may be occasions when you've got to learn how to defend yourself, but that's really at the end of the line. And I think sometimes we approach the Bible because, hey, can you show me the answers? I'm studying with somebody and I really want to. And hey, I want to really learn how to do this with the Bible. And sometimes our approach is all. We come to the Bible not to be experts, not to show that we're the smartest so that we can quote the most so that we know the most. We're coming to the Bible to say, can you show me the son of God so that I can see how wretched and broken I am and how desperately he wants to fix me and conform my life to his will and be the person that he wants me to be. You can study the Bible all day long, but until that's our posture, we'll always come up empty. We'll always approach it the wrong way. But what if we can change it? See our need. Appreciate the text that God's given us. Explore all the different avenues available to us today to get into the word of God and accept spiritual ownership of our own development and say, you know what? God's given me the word. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. What if that's really the plan for everybody to be able to read and commune with God, know his word and live for him? And the good news for you and me is it is. Thanks for your attention this afternoon. Let's be students of the Word of God and do what God wants us to with His Word. Appreciate your time. Amen.